Aren't you thankful for the confidence of knowing our God is greater? Hallelujah. Amen. In the Old Testament, the Lord revealed himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, God Almighty. And there is such comfort in knowing that because circumstances of life can seem overwhelming and they're daunting and you can't figure it out and you're looking for the solution. But yet at the same time, we have the confidence in knowing even when I can't figure it out. Job said, I looked in front of me. I looked behind me on the right hand, on the left, and I could not find him. But Job with confidence said, but he knows the way that I take. Amen. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. What great confidence we have tonight in the power of our God to protect us, to keep us. And that this is not just some random trip through life that we're on. But Job said, when he has accomplished his purpose... I'm going to come out better than I could have ever imagined. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how it could be, but I have confidence that goes beyond what I can see with my physical eyes, what I can understand with my mind. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Amen. Lord, we thank you tonight. Thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you for the confidence, Lord, that you have put in us and the way that you accomplish your will in our lives. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated tonight. I'm not going to read my text immediately, but I will get there. I promise. You know, we, uh, it's a well-known thing that in this day and age, we are accustomed to things being rapid fire at our fingertips on demand On demand. That's the phrase of the age. Um, (laughs) I didn't grow up with television. But for those of you who did, you may remember in those days, not that long ago, if the show went by and you didn't see it, you just missed it. And you just had to ask your friends at school or friends at work what happened. Because you missed it. Now, everything is on demand. It's at your fingertips. It's constantly streaming. And, and we get accustomed to this. I, I sit in front of a computer almost all day, most days. And I I actually have colleagues around the world. And, uh, I'm an old enough guy that this still amazes me. I know some of you young people think, oh boy, big deal. But I was having, a text conversation through the keyboard the other day with a colleague and uh, he got tired of typing so his face pops up on my screen and we start just chatting away and he's in Australia and it's afternoon here and it's early morning there and we're talking just like he's in the next room just just that fast instantaneously no visible wires connecting anything and and Like I said, I'm old enough that I still get amazed by that sort of thing all the time. And then, heaven forbid, that the network is a little slow and we start getting grumpy because, you know, it's glitching and uh, whatever. 
And we sit in the line at Chick-fil-A and it takes a little too long. I mean, we're pretty spoiled. And, and there is something, we've been conditioned to just expect things on demand and instantaneously. And it, it leaks over into our spiritual lives. We expect things to happen in a moment that there would be some instantaneous answer to our problems, instantaneous um, fixing of whatever it is that we have deemed has gone sideways in our life. And we call out to the Lord and just expect that he's going to be our cosmic bellhop and bring us exactly what it is that we need in the moment that we need it. And, And we're apostolic. So we believe in the power of God to actually accomplish something instantaneously. Amen? I mean, I think I'm in the right place. We believe in the miraculous. And we believe that the Lord still does miracles. And that he does still work in people's lives. And we pray the prayer of faith. And we expect that the Lord is going to move. I mean, it happened in Acts 3, so why not? The scripture said that Peter and John went up to the temple about the hour of prayer and there was the lame man at the beautiful gate and he was begging alms and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. He reached down, he he takes him by the hand, he lifts him up and the scripture said over the course of six or eight months, no, that's not what it said. It said immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength And immediately he went running and leaping into the temple, rejoicing, praising the Lord. Well, this is, this is our, this is what we believe in. We're apostolic. So we pray and we ask the Lord to undertake and there is an expectation that he will undertake. And it's in our spiritual DNA, not only because of physical healings that we have observed and we see in scripture but also because it's in our dna because of the primary experience that leads us into communion with the lord and what i mean of course is that when when we get fed up with our old life and we repent and we come to an altar and we repent of our sins and the Lord fills us with the Holy Ghost, there is an immediate change in our lives. It's revolutionary. It should be revolutionary. And the Lord is able in a moment, in our receiving of the Spirit, our being baptized in Jesus' name, the Lord accomplishes something Great in a few minutes of time that we have been unable to accomplish in all of our lives up to that point. And so this is burned into our consciousness in a way that, that the Lord is able to do miraculous things in a very short period of time. Now, you've all heard the, the scripture that said, with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. And for, I don't know, a long time, I always thought about that emphasis on the second part. A day 
It says a thousand years. So when the scripture, when we see references to this day, or especially in prophecy, everybody always wants to bring that scripture to bear. And when there's days spoken of in the scripture, it represents a certain number of a thousand years. And, and this all fits into the schema. But, but I think there's something else that the writer intended to really communicate to us. And that is that with the Lord, he's not limited by our time frames. And, and because he exists outside of time and because he has always existed and always will exist, a thousand years doesn't really mean that much to God. That just seems like a day in his presence. It's just, it's just a short period of time. I have trouble, I have trouble getting my mind around a thousand years. I mean, really, you know, we think of five years, 10 years, our kids are however old we've been married, however long. No, it doesn't seem like a thousand years. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. <clears throat> My father-in-law said he'd, he'd been married close to 60 years. And he said to me, he said, you know, it seems like just a few years underwater. <clears throat> He's not here. Mother-in-law's not here. I'll be in trouble when I get home for sure. <laughs> But for the Lord, time just, you know, a thousand years is as a day, a day is as a thousand years. I think one piece of this is that you can work your fingers to the bone for a thousand years and the Lord could take care of it in a day. What, what would take us, we can't conceive of how long it would take us to accomplish something. The Lord's, he's able to just take care of it instantaneously. The children of Israel had been in bondage for 400 years. And uh, I've referred to this before in the New Testament. The Lord told the, um, the parable of the unjust judge. And the, the poor widow woman was going to him constantly, constantly. And she had no power. She had no uh, institutional power or any kind of authority to exert over him. The only thing she had... To her advantage, or the only thing she could use was her persistence. And finally, the unjust judge said, Though I don't fear God or regard man, I'm going to give this poor, weak widow woman what she needs, lest she weary me by her continual coming. She is wearing me out. And I'm just going to give her what she wants so she will go away. And the Lord said, If this is the unjust judge that he bore along with her, but then he answered her request. He said, so it is with the son of man, though he bear long with them, yet he will avenge them speedily. And so there is this, we don't understand the timing of God. The children of Israel had been in captivity for 400 years and it seemed like God wasn't hearing their cry. And yet when the Lord got ready to turn the captivity of Egypt, it didn't take him long to get it done. And in fact, When we've talked at length about the Passover, the Lord sprung that nation of three million or so people free in one night. When when he finally was finished toying around with Pharaoh, he brought to bear that last plague, the death of the firstborn, and he knew, he told them, you need to eat this last meal. You eat it with your staff in your hand. You eat it with your shoes on your feet. Because you are about to get ejected from the nation of Egypt. 
And when he did it, they were free in one night. Now they went out from there and you know they went to the Red Sea. They went through that Red Sea and the, the Egyptians changed their mind. They started chasing after them. They went into the Red Sea after them. And as soon as the last children of the last child of Israel stepped out on the other shore, those walls of water just collapsed and they drowned the whole army. And the words of Moses, these Egyptians that you see this day, you will see them no more again forever. They were fulfilled on that day in an instant, that entire army was wiped out. And they turned around and looked and said, we're free. 400 plus years, we didn't see how it could happen. And in a matter of two or three days, we have been sprung free from Egypt and our enemy has been utterly destroyed. In Exodus 15, they begin to sing and dance and you can just imagine the realization that they are free forever. God did this thing so quickly. And it's just, it's the same feeling when you realize that you were forgiven from all of your sins. But not only that, when you got up from that altar, there were things in your life that were broken. There was dominion in your life that was broken in a moment. Amen? Things that you had struggled with for years, God did it instantaneously. He just took care of it. And the psalmist said, Psalm 126, um, he said, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Even their enemies would say, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the earth, in the south. What a... What a great imagery of the freedom that they experienced in that moment. You, can you just imagine being totally enslaved in one minute and then realizing every enemy I've ever had is completely wiped out, taken away from me. I don't have to be in that same bondage that I was in before. And so there is this desire for us. We see difficulties. We face things in our lives and we think, oh, Lord, do it again, Lord. You can deliver me in a moment. What happens when the Lord doesn't deliver in a moment? He doesn't always operate that way. And it's scriptural that he doesn't operate that way. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 23. And uh, we'll start, we're just going to read a few verses. Let's start down around... um, Verse 20, this is Moses to the children of Israel after they've come out from um, Egyptian bondage and they're getting ready to go in and take over Canaan. They're going to go live in that land that they have been promised. And the Lord is, is really strengthening them. He's encouraging them. He says, behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Man, this sounds exciting. The angel of the Lord is going to go before us. He's going to take us into that place. Beware of him and obey his voice. 
Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. You better stay with him. You better obey. My name is in him, he says. And verse 23, Mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. All of your, you've got enemies dead behind you, and there's enemies dead before you. I'm going to cut them all off for you, he says. Now he warns them, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. You shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill, and I will send my fear before thee. He's talking about the conquest of Canaan. And I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. But verse 29 is where things hit the skids. I will not drive them out before thee in one year. Time out. One year? You got us out of Egypt in one night. And you're telling me this is not going to happen in one year? Read verse 30. By little and little will I drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. Little by little, I'm going to bring this to pass. What we have to understand and what we have to be willing to accept from the Lord is that there are some things in our lives that God brings victory and dominion to us by a process and not by some instantaneous miracle. These same people, just a few days after their miraculous deliverance from Egypt, same people, same God, Not one night. Exodus 19, he said, I bore you out on angels' wings. I mean, on on eagles' wings, he said. I, I brought you out on eagles' wings. I miraculously delivered you. And they're saying again, hey, where are the eagles? Let's let's keep this rolling. We got the momentum here. Let's let's keep this going. God says, not so fast. I, I'm gonna send my angel before you. I'm going to send my fear before you. I'm going to send the hornets before you. But things are going to slow way down. And that's where we get into trouble. Because we don't want to slow down. And there is an element of patience that I think God is trying to deal with us in our own lives about. And I've probably mentioned this before. And I think it was for me. But the Lord showed me... (laughs) How impatience, impatience is really selfishness. Impatience, see love is patient and love is kind. Where is impatience? Impatience is me demanding things, demanding that things be the way that I want them when I want them. What is the one thing that irritates us to no end? When we get, we would say of ourselves, I was impatient. Why was it? It was because I didn't have what I want 
or I didn't get it when I wanted it. And it's us insisting on our own way, on the way we imagined that it ought to be in the time that we imagined it ought to happen. And the Lord is saying, slow down. I'm in control of this thing. And there's going to be some things that you will, I will do miraculous things. And I will deliver you in miraculous ways that will blow your mind. But in my own wisdom, the Lord is saying, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And in fact, the writer said, as high as the heaven is above, his, above the earth, so, great are his, so much greater are his thoughts than our thoughts. It's not just, his thoughts are not just a little bit higher. As high as the heavens are above the earth. And, and in the Lord's wisdom, he sometimes chooses to lead us along a path. The promise to Abraham was everywhere your foot falls, that's where you will have dominion. Everywhere you walk, that's where you will have dominion. And the Lord said, I carried you this far on the eagle's wings, but you're fixing to do some walking. I don't know about you, but I think we have all experiences in our own spiritual walk that God does great things for us in some seasons. And then we wonder, Lord, why is this thing such a struggle? Why don't you do again? Is there something wrong with me? Do I not have, am I not spiritual? Have I disobeyed? What's wrong, God? And the Lord say, no, I just want you to learn how to walk with me. I just want you to, to learn how to trust the process of what has to take place. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to be with you. You couldn't do this. You couldn't win this battle without me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with you and I'm going to send my fear before you. I'll even send hornets before you. But this is going to be done one step at a time, one city at a time. We're going to go through this one episode at a time together. Lord, why? Because I want you to learn to trust me. And I want you to learn how to walk with me and how to, how to use the weapons that I have given to you. It's a process that the Lord wants us to be submitted to. You know, I, I in the natural, this makes sense to us. I, I haven't looked at many job listings lately, but I'll tell you this. I've never seen a large company advertise for CEO looking we want someone to come be our CEO and our prime candidates are recent high school graduates. It's not that there aren't smart high school graduates. That's not the problem. The problem is you need some experience to know how to apply your intellect and how to solve some problems and how to work your way through some difficulties so that you get some perspective in life so that when you have great responsibility, it's not put upon you when in the midst of your immaturity and what the Lord was saying to the nation of Israel, Egypt would have destroyed you and I delivered you miraculously. But if you will walk with me, if you will trust me, I will show you how to conquer and how to have victory and how to work with me and walk with me. We'll be laborers together and I will bring you victory and you'll be greater for it. Amen. David was keeping the sheep and there was the lion and there was the bear. And when it came time for Goliath, he said, I'm not too worried because I've already fought the lion and the bear. 
And when he took Goliath down, that sword of Goliath's got stored away in the house of God. And it's a few years later, David is running for his life. He's a fugitive from Saul. He finds himself at the house of God and he says, look, all I need is a little bit of bread and would you bring me that sword of Goliath? The Lord has a way of taking your victories that he leads you through and building on those and they grow and they grow and you will face the most daunting thing and you think there's no hope. But then you remember the Lord gave me the lion and the Lord gave me the bear and the Lord gave me Goliath and he's going to see me through this season too. That's the way the Lord works in our lives. And sometimes we want the thunder and the lightning. We want the immediate. And the Lord says, you know what? What you need is a slow soaking rain. You just need to let my processes take place and let, let me somehow work in your life. I think the Lord's teaching us patience in all of this. That every time we find ourselves in difficulty, the Lord is not just going to ride in to the rescue like the cavalry. But sometimes he's going to give us a little nudge in this direction and a little nudge in that direction. And he's going to give us some wisdom to say and wisdom to do. And he's going to lead us through the difficulty. And we realize the Lord's hand was in this all the time. It wasn't like I envisioned it. It didn't happen in a moment like I envisioned it. But it was still the hand of the Lord that was at work in my life. If you'll pardon the personal reference, we had this exact situation in our lives over the last almost 30 years now. You all know our sons, Jonathan and Matthew. Jonathan was born three months early, 26 weeks gestation. He weighed less than two pounds when he was born. One pound, 13 ounces. He was in the hospital for three months and um, the Lord did a great work in him and you look at him now you have no indication no hint that there was ever a difficulty a difficult day in his life if you're not like my wife and I and you don't look I, I know where to look to see the little IV burns that he got 29 years ago I know where those marks are, but if you don't know, you probably wouldn't notice. And if I pointed them out to you, you'd probably forget where they were in two or three weeks anyway. Because it's really pretty subtle. Because what the Lord did for Jonathan over a matter of three or four months was incredible. And he grew and, and went off to school and did all the things, got into all the trouble boys get into and all that sort of thing. Then Matthew comes along. Doctor says... Really sorry to tell you this, but lightning has struck again. You got you have another problem, pregnancy. He's not supposed to live. He's not supposed to uh, even make it to term. He's lasts a little bit longer in the womb. He's thirty one weeks, I think, about four pounds when he was born. A little less than four pounds when he was born. He was in the hospital for a uh, couple of months. But Matthew's life's been a little bit different than Jonathan's. The doctors told us we don't really know. We can't, we can't diagnose him per se. We can't tell you exactly what his genetic syndrome is or whatever. We know it's a genetic thing, but we, 
we've never seen one exactly like this. And they said, the human genome is so complex. It's really not that common, not that uncommon. If um, children born with certain genetic mutations, they may never be, they may be the only one ever observed to have that specific mutation. So it's really not that uncommon that we wouldn't be able to diagnose it. So they said the upshot of that is we don't know when, you know, he may grow and develop and, and, uh, and develop certain capabilities or whatever, and then one day just stop. So we don't really know what to tell you. We don't know what the prognosis is. We don't, can't tell you an average lifespan. We, we can't really tell you anything about this. Matthew's about 25 years old. Um, I think that's right. Um, and I guess 26 in May. Better do the math. He's probably watching. He'll, I'll get in trouble for that too. My, my uber precise one, he will be correcting me. I, I might check my phone now. I'll get a text. <clears throat> and I don't know. I, I've, I need to go look at, I had a catalog somewhere of where I listed all the times. Probably 20 plus surgeries in his lifetime under general anesthesia, 25 times or so for different tests and what have you. But I would say with Matthew, it has been little by little. The process continues, and it just continues day by day. And here we are, 25 years later, quite, quite functional, quite capable, quite just, you know, we're just thankful. And here's the thing. We like the, we like the story of the miraculous thing that is done in a moment. But what the advantage that Matthew has is it is clear that the Lord has worked in his life. The miracle in Jonathan's life is no less than the miracle in Matthew's life, but it's not as visible. It's not as much of, it's not an obvious testimony. When people look at Matthew, they say, and they get to meet him, they talk to him, they say, look what the Lord has done. And what we don't realize is when we're going through life, we're going through difficulties and the Lord is carrying us little by little and we are, we are chafing under the load of that constant thing that God is doing. It seems like painstakingly slow, one micro step at a time. Yet there are people who are watching saying, the Lord has to be sustaining them. The Lord has to be strengthening them. The Lord has to be working in them to be, I don't know how. You, I, I don't know how you can go through that. It's the grace of God. It's the strength of the Lord that does it. Amen? And this is the way that the Lord works in our lives. We talk about this in a theological way. We talk about justification and sanctification. Justification, I've said this, is that point in time where God says, you are in right standing with me. Yes, you had that sin debt, but at Calvary, I took that out of the way. In the new birth, you have been justified. You have been made right with me in a moment. But then there's this sanctification process that takes place in the rest of our lives. And that is the process of us actually becoming what God has already counted us to be. God has said, your debt was paid in full. You are in right standing with me. And through the power of the Holy Ghost, as we live our lives, God begins to show us how to have victory over sin. He gave us victory when we got the Holy Ghost over sin. But then he teaches us how to overcome. 
How many of you have experienced this, that when you got the Holy Ghost, God broke things instantaneously, and you never had to struggle with them again? And yet at the... Amen. Praise the Lord. And yet at the same time, there were other struggles that he did not break immediately. Can we be honest enough to say there were things we still struggled with after we got the Holy Ghost? And the Lord said... Look, if you'll, you'll just work with me, I'll send my angel, I'll send fear, I'll send hornets before you, but, but you're not going to take care of this in one night. You may not take care of this in one year. It may be a process, a long process of you learning how to bring to bear the power of the Spirit in your life to overcome and to live above sin. Amen. God will give you victory. Don't be discouraged. Sometimes we think, there must be something wrong with me. God delivered me from X, Y, and Z, but not A, B, and C. Why in the world? What am I doing wrong? It may be that God is saying, you know what? If you will trust me, you can, I can teach you how to overcome A with the power of the Holy Ghost. And you will grow from it and then you'll be able to overcome bigger things because you've learned how to use the power that I've given to you, the strength that I've given you through the Holy Ghost. And not only that, not only will you be overcoming these greater and greater things, you're going to be helping those coming along behind you saying, here's how you overcome this struggle. Here's how you deal with this fight. Amen. God just delivered us all with a flash of lightning. We really wouldn't be, I mean, it would be great, but would I be any better off? Would I have learned to love the Lord? See, he really wants communion with me. He wants me to learn to lean on him, to learn to trust him. To Sometimes difficulty comes because we don't pray any other way. And the Lord says, you know what? I want to talk to you so bad, I'm going to make you miserable. Well, I'm glad I might not be the only one. There is a process of our lives, this sanctification, this, this process of us learning how to walk with the Lord, learning how to lean on Him, learning how to trust in Him. James chapter 1, the trying of your faith works patience. The Lord seems to be saying, you may not get patience any other way, but the trying of your faith. Now I think, Lord, there's got to be a better way. So you have to be careful. I know this is old hat, right? This is not news. Don't, don't ever pray for patience. God will give you a lot of things. God will give you a lot of opportunities to exercise patience. If you pray for patience, he may send the trying of your faith. James 1.3 says, the trying of your faith works patience. It accomplishes this. Because why? Because we are denying the impatience. We're denying, we are allowing the Lord to give us what he wants to give us. And we are foregoing our desire and our supposed right to demand to have it my way in my time. And when I allow him to try my faith, I'm exercising, I'm learning patience. 
In verse 4, he says, let patience have her perfect work, complete work. What is patience? What is the complete work of patience? That you would be perfect and entire, that you would be complete, not lacking anything. But it starts out with the trying of our faith. And this is this process of little by little that we live by. You know, what is it, Second Peter? Add to your patience, virtue. Add to your virtue, knowledge. There is a growth process in living for God. And while our salvation happens in a moment... The real fulfillment of living for God, the real satisfaction of living for God, the real joy of knowing the Lord, that doesn't come in an instant. That comes from a lifetime of patient continuance in the word of the Lord. I think it was the philosopher Nietzsche who probably didn't even believe in God, but he coined this phrase, he used this phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. And you, you may have heard of Eugene Peterson. He took that phrase and he wrote a book about the Psalms of Ascent. And he called it a long obedience in the same direction. That really should be the phrase that characterizes our life of living for God. Is that my life of working with, trusting in the Lord, it's just a long obedience pointed in the same direction. Do I, am I successful every day? No way. Do I pass every test first time through? No way. There's, there's a lot of classes I've had to repeat. And I say, Lord, why this again? He said, well, if you'd have got it the first time, we could move on. But when we point ourselves in this direction and there is this continual desire and this continual seeking to be obedient to the Lord, the Lord has a way of leading us along this trail and we don't even realize what's happening. It's happening so gradually. It's like when you... You go to school and you learn your alphabet and then you start learning simple words and then you learn, you learn bigger words and your vocabulary starts to increase. What's happening? You're learning little things at first and then you're building on that. And over the course of years, you look back and you think, there was actually a day I didn't know the alphabet. There was actually a day, it was a big deal, that I learned that LMNOP was like five different letters, right? Why is that? That's because over a long period of time, you have been consistently, whether you wanted to or not, your nose has been held to the grindstone of the books, whether you wanted to or not. And the Lord is saying, if you will just apply that same principle to living for me, little by little, I will give you the whole land. Everywhere you walk, you will have victory. You'll have dominion. You will overcome sin. You will drive out the enemy. They lived for 400 years in slavery. That means they worked and they only got what their masters wanted them to have. It was enough to keep them alive and keep them strong enough to work. That's all they got. But the promise was, I'm going to give you Canaan. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. See, the Lord keeps good records. I'm going to give you wells you didn't dig. 
You're going to draw water out of a well you never dug. You're going to live in a house you didn't build. And you're going you're to harvest grapes and vineyards that you didn't plant. And you didn't have to wait for the, for the vines to mature. You're going to walk in there and it's just, it's all going to work. The only catch is, it's going to happen little by little. <laughs> it's going to happen just a little bit at a time. Why don't you stand together with me tonight? Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, be not weary in well-doing. This is the trap, is that we get frustrated with the process because we're looking down the road. We want to accomplish. We're Westerners. We're goal-oriented. We're, we're young and in a hurry. And the Lord is saying, it's not just the goal i want you to walk with me i want you to spend time with me i want you to learn how to i want you to learn of me i want to change your i want to change your character i i want to i want you to well paul wrote a couple of chapters earlier in galatians my little children of whom i travail again in birth he's he's saying "I, i was there I helped found these churches in this region. I was there when you prayed through. Now he's writing a letter to them and he says, I travail in birth again. I worked, we dug this church out of the ground. We just dug it out from the people. And we prayed for you. We travailed with you. You were filled with the spirit. But he said, now I'm travailing again until Christ be formed in you. So that's why he would say just a couple of chapters later, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't chafe at the process. Don't get so focused on the end goal that you get frustrated and you live your life irritated because you're not where you think you ought to be. Enjoy the journey. The angel of the Lord is with you. He's sending, sending the hornets ahead of you. There was, maybe I had you stand too early. There was a, I'll be quick, I'll be quick. In Exodus 23, I kind of skipped over it when I read it, verse 29. I will not drive them out from you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against you. I thought, what do you mean, Lord? It's this reality that when we allow the Lord to work in our lives... We allow the Lord to work this process out. He will cause our enemies to work for us. They will keep bigger bears and bigger lions and bigger tigers at bay for us. Because they think they're doing it to occupy their house. But when we're ready and when we have come to that point, the Lord's going to kick them out just like he kicked everybody else out. But he said, I can't do it in a minute. I can't do it in a night. I can't even do it in a year because they would overwhelm you. There's situations that you will face in your life if it happened in the wrong time and in the wrong piece of material. If you're not mature enough, it will overwhelm you. It will take you out. And the Lord is saying, this is why I have to go slow. Now, this is in Exodus. And you know what happened? They wandered around for 40 years because they didn't believe God. But you know what? It didn't change his plan. 
Deuteronomy 7, he says exactly the same thing. I'm going to give it to you little by little. So it doesn't matter. You can wander around and you can run from God and you can be unbelieving. The timing is still the same. You're not going to hold God's feet to the fire. He's not going to let you have this great victory overnight. You're not going to, you're not going to manipulate him. He's fine. You want to wander around till the whole generation dies? Go ahead. But when you finally make up your mind, you're going to live in victory. It's going to still be a process. Still not going to be a night. Still not going to be a year. It's going to be a process. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us tonight. That there is communion with you as we go through this life. And that we are matured by the, the process that you take us through. And that there is, there is strength in knowing you and learning of you. I pray, Lord, you would give us and help us with patience, Lord. To be willing to go through your process. And be willing to do it your way. And recognize that you are working even our enemies on our behalf. That you are working with us, O oh Lord. And that you're trusting your power into our lives and that we will be able to overcome if we will learn of you. We trust you, Lord, for every victory. The small victories become bigger. The bigger victories become greater. The greater victories become the greatest. Lord, you are working it out in our lives. And we trust you tonight. In the name of Jesus. the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Why don't you greet someone? Tell them, trust the process. Amen. Lord bless you. In Jesus' name.